0: TCL is a proud sponsor of the 1500 ESPN studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. Minnesota Vikings, the NFL, football. Yeah, football. Welcome to Purple Podcast.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast, Matthew Collar along with former NFL quarterback Sage Rosenfels. Sage, how are you? I'm
2: doing great. Driving currently in Western Iowa back to Omaha, Nebraska, where I live from Minneapolis. I was up at the game. I saw you uh, in the uh, the tunnels uh, underneath the uh, the stadium the other day, and uh, not not a not a great win, not a great game, I should say, for the Vikings.
1: So the uh, the drive is it better or worse than going from Wisconsin, you know, in Green Bay back to the Twin Cities?
2: Uh, that's a good question. I don't know. I've I've never made that drive. I've Only made the flight from Minneapolis to uh, to Green Bay. It's about five and a half hours. The nice thing is that I uh, you know I went to school at Iowa State, so I get to stop either in Ames or Des Moines uh, generally on the way to and from Minneapolis to. Either have a cup of coffee with a college teammate or a, a business associate or today have breakfast with my father who came in, uh, and, and dropped me off my dog. My parents didn't watch my dog for a couple of weeks. And so uh, it's always nice to drive through my great state of Iowa. And uh, most of the corn has been chopped down at this point, harvested and uh, getting ready for winter down here.
1: Well, I can confirm that Green Bay to uh, the Twin Cities is also filled with corn, depending on the time of season. Um, we had yesterday, Anthony Harris on this very podcast gave dog scouting reports of his teammates' dogs. So what type of dog do you have?
2: I have a mini burnadoodle.
1: Bernadoodle.
2: I have a mix between a Bernese Mountain Dog mother and a mini Poodle father call that a mini bernadoodle he's about a 55 pound uh teddy bear he's adorable his name is bernie really original it's great uh, bernie for the bernie's mountain dog uh and uh yeah he's about I'm trying to think about it. he's about two years old coming up on us on his second birthday and actually i got him uh from a family who lived up in way up in northwest minnesota only two miles uh, from the Canadian border. So he's actually a Minnesota-born puppy, just like my youngest daughter, Lola, is a Minnesota-born child of mine.
1: Now, I, w- I don't uh, disparage any type of dog, but I am team big dog. My dog is 75 to 80 pounds, depending on how much we feed her. Uh, I have a greyhound, Sage, and it's just it's awesome. Big dog that you can play with and hug and push around a little. I'm I'm with the big dogs here.
2: Big dog, big dog, big problems, big mistakes. That's why (laughs) that's how I look at it. So I like media problems and media mistakes. I went for medium sized dog. My dog also doesn't shed, and yes, I'm one of those people who happens to not like hair all over my clothes, and uh, I wear my fair share of sweaters and things. And so yeah, it's not nice not to have that. But uh, yeah, everyone has. I, I saw a picture of your dog on Twitter. Was it like it? he or she does not sleep on their blanket. They just sleep on the couch or something like that. Yes.
1: So we bought this nice little bed and there's a blanket that goes over the bed that my mom made because she's very crafty. So it's got little paws on it and everything. It's just perfect for the dog. And every day, as soon as I'm not on the couch, the dog then climbs up on the couch and curls up with the blanket that she likes and just spreads herself on the entire couch, so only one other person can sit there. So even though there would be room for my wife and the dog and uh me... It it never works out that way because the dog takes up a full spot. So and so,
2: so here's the deal: if you had a medium sized dog,
1: mm, good point. I
2: bet you get two people on that couch. See, you got big problems over there.
1: So my theory on this with with our dog, because we rescued her from a track, being a greyhound, she was a racer, and so we got her after she had uh, finished up her racing career. Is that she had to live in a little cage for the first four years of her life and be forced to mm-hmm. race. So if she wants yeah. the couch, she gets the couch. That's how it goes. Yes, so. yes.
2: I yeah, I like it. You're you're indebted to your dog for the rest of uh rest of its life.
1: Exactly. Sure. So <laughs> let's uh let's go from dogs to lions. Sage, am I right?
2: Oh, I like ah, that. Yeah, almost. All right. it's all, it was almost
1: animals. Yeah, almost. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so let me let me ask you. I mean, the lions have just been a bleep show this whole year. I mean, you you start out with. Matt Patricia, and it comes out that there was uh, a rape allegation when he was in college. And then you go to OTAs where he's making guys well, run winsprints. Oh, that's wins sprints. You can
0: get
2: on the Supreme Court for that. <laughs> oh, right? oh, boom. Oh, sure I should have said that. That's all right.
1: That's all right. That's allowed on this podcast. <laughs> um, from, from animal breakdowns to, uh, to political zingers. Um, <laughs> so, but, I mean, if the NFL has shown us anything, it's that it doesn't particularly care about something like that. Um, it
2: usually forgives you the more talented you are. So that's sort of how it
1: goes. Yeah. Uh, Greg Hardy getting a job back in the NFL again. And certain other players who kneeled for the anthem not getting jobs might shine a little light on some hypocrisy from the NFL. So uh, Matt Patricia with that. And then in OTAs, he gets uh, criticized by some players behind the scenes about uh, running wind sprints and doing things like that when these guys are all in shape and trying to bring over the Patriot way, which, as we've seen so many times, does not work and then they get off to this terrible start where you know Sam Darnold throws all over them they get a couple wins but get smoked by Seattle last week and then today I'm sure since you've been driving you haven't seen this but Matt Patricia melting down after the golden tape trade um, scrutinizing a reporter for how the reporter was sitting in his chair when asking a question so uh,
2: (laughs) well can I so I I did not see this tirade but I will say this about that trade and, and I was sort of uh, you know, looking at it last night and, uh, you know, Golden Tate goes to, what was the team? He went to uh, Philadelphia, right? Yes. So for Philadelphia, here's what's really interesting about it. Um, and here's why I don't believe it was a good trade at all for Detroit. I understand they want, they're trying to build for the future. And obviously maybe Patricia and Golden Tate don't get along or whatever. Cause I think Golden Tate's a really good player. I actually think he's undervalued. I, He's a good route runner. He catches the ball well. Uh, he's really good after the catch. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's one of those guys that's sort of like a running back in a lot of ways. Almost reminds me of a Percy Harvin, but not quite as fast. I mean, he's physical. He, so he's great after the catch. Good, great third down guy. Sort of an Anquan Bolden. You know, better after the catch type of guy. So, But anyway, uh, you know, what, what was not taken into account this thing, I don't think, by the Lions was the compensatory pick. They would have gotten at the season's end if they would have just let him go. You know, hey, we're not going to sign him back. Uh, Golden Tate is going to get a big contract at the end of the season. He's a very good player. A lot of L- NFL teams would love to have him. And because of that, uh, uh, Detroit was probably going to get a third or fourth round draft pick. Now, the team that just traded for him, Philadelphia, they'll have him as a rental for half the season including the playoff run and they will get the compensatory pick after the season the whole thing might actually just be a basically a free trade for them and the draft picture a wash
1: it is baffling on many levels that one is one of them but the other my reaction was I, I'm sorry. Is the NFC North resolved already? Because uh, we were just talking about the other day how anybody could win this thing. I, I mean, the and le- they're three and four. They're three, they're and, three four. and four. The leader yeah. is four and three. I, yeah. I, I, I'm failing to understand why they would be out of this race. And plus, if I mean, if you look at their games, they've been very much up and down. But they have a win against Tom Brady. They have a win against Aaron Rodgers. They have two losses. One is by three points. The other is by two points. And so
2: let's 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 take the entire uh, like how we analyze football out of this equation as to why it happened. Let's just go off of this as you started with the sort of the podcast here that this conversation one uh, Matt Patricia got really defensive for his, his decision basically his decision to, to trade him.
1: Mm-hmm. All right.
2: Number two, there were rumblings in the summertime of people not liking Patricia. Right. All right. Then a trade occurs that makes no sense, and the coach gets really defensive about it. Let's. We can probably assume that Tate was a part of that. Whether Tate's in the wrong there or whatever, uh, we can probably assume uh, you know these two did not get along, and and he may have been the or one of the players uh, uh, in the summertime. To, you know, maybe not, he, maybe Golden Tate just didn't like what Matt Patricia was selling, and you know that's what happens a lot of times. You had good co- coaches come in. Uh, some players buy in. Some players are maybe skeptical, or maybe Golden Tate just wants to get the heck out of Detroit.
1: You're, go somewhere
2: um, else, you know, and just go to a, a better team, a better franchise, a better city. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen that happen, you know, numerous, numerous times in my, in my time playing the league.
1: Your dot connecting is Zolgadian, I have to say on that one. <laughs> yes, but, yeah, but, brilliant. But, but you know what? Judd was talking about this way back then when that report came out that he didn't believe in Detroit because of that, because of the whole. Patriot way and we're going to come in and push the and I remember listening to Joe Thomas talk about this that every time that they would change coaches in Cleveland which was many times with Joe Thomas playing left tackle he said every single time the coach came in and said you guys didn't work hard enough that's why you weren't winners and every single time all the players went like oh, not this again. And it seems like that is a trend with football coaches when they get a job, especially first-time coaches or, or Belichick guys where they want to come in and lay down the law when really it was probably related to something else, whether it's personnel or scheme or whatever it might be. It's rarely that the guys aren't trying.
2: You don't think NFL players work hard? I mean, that's what we do. Uh, you know, Whether you're on a good team or a bad team, everyone's working Basically, as hard as each other. Now, some people are probably working a little bit smarter, but that usually has to do with the coaching. Uh, but yeah, I, I always really appreciated, and I have it happened a couple times in my career. You know, when a new coach co- would come in, I and this, I again, I, I'll go back to Gary Kubiak in my time in Houston. He came in and he did not say almost, from what I recall, anything negative about Dom Capers, Dom Capers' staff, and their scheme before. It just wasn't brought up. Uh, if anything, it was, it was brought up with a bit of compassion is that, you know, you guys have been here for the last three or four years. I'm sure it's been a struggle. I'm sure it sucks. Mm-hmm. You know, let's get to work and get this figured out. There's good. There's some good football players in this team. You know, he did the opposite of what a lot of coaches do. They say they come in. They say there's not enough talent. We got to find the right guys. You know, Kubiak came in and said, you know, we do have good players in this football team. We got to get more players on this football team you guys have put in the work, you know, you, you, you're going to work hard for me as well. And I think players, you know, stuck with him. And it's probably one of the reasons why Kubiak actually you know, had to wait, I think, until his fourth or even fifth season uh, uh, of being a coach before getting the playoffs. He got a little bit more you know, time than a lot of coaches get. Players played hard for him. And I think over time he ended up having a nice you know, tenure in Houston because that He came in right away and didn't sort of degrade the players that they weren't working hard just because they weren't winning.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a good point because it's almost like you get much more rope if you don't snap. I mean, look at someone like Marvin Lewis went through a lot of tough times early in his career when they built that team. And then they had years where they were a legit Super Bowl contender, but then fall off again and rebuild it. And they're back here this year. And he doesn't strike me as a guy who would uh, you know, flip out like this, Patricia. I mean, he's only seven weeks into his coaching career, and he's already on Deadspin for being a joker in a press conference. And, and, well, and, yeah. I, and
2: I think, I think that, that that's the difference between college and the pros. I think college is a different thing in the sense that, you know, there are some teams that don't work as hard. There are some, uh, you know, college programs where the head coach, uh, is sort of very loose with his players. A lot of guys get in trouble. Guys don't go to class. There's been incidents, a lot of incidents off the field, and then a coach come in, come in, comes in and say, you know, we're not going to be that type of program. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I just think the NFL is different. These guys are getting paid a lot of money. Uh, believe it or not, for the vast, vast majority of the players in the league, they are true professionals. As, as, as again, as Kubiak used to say, just be a pro. These guys work hard. They know what they're doing. Uh, they're trying to, you know, make good decisions on and off the field. Uh, you know, they know the playbook, playbook they're studying. You know, they know that, you know, wins and losses, uh, you know, have a direct correlation between what they're going to get paid in the future. Mm-hmm. You know, and even in losses, when your team's out of it, they want to have 10 catches because dang it, you know, my contract's up. But, you know, I, I want to have as many catches as possible. So, you know, that is the thing about the NFL is, you know, players are really always motivated. Uh, to play as hard as possible.
1: So in, in my career, Sage, I, I've had bosses that I, um, let's just say, like, didn't believe in. Let's put it that way. That, um, had maybe a, a few eye rolls here or there. Is it similar with the head coach? I mean, cause every player's gonna see this now. There's no avoiding it that, you know, him, the way he's acting. And if they already didn't, uh, buy in entirely to the way that he came right in and told them that they didn't work hard enough and, and so forth. I mean, it, it seems like if you have a, a locker room that isn't buying what you're selling as a head coach, it's very difficult yeah. for everybody to be on the same page and succeed.
2: I, I think I think NFL players believe in coaches who are authentic, you know, and uh, that, you know, when they, when head coaches have an opinion, you know, we lost that game because, uh, or we didn't get it done because, or we won because, you know, if that a lot of times matches up what most of the players are feeling and there's an honesty there I think that's how you have a locker but it's not really coming in saying you guys don't work hard or uh, you guys do everything right you know there's a player's coach and then there's the old Parcells types I I think it's really all about authenticity and and the players just you know it's sort of having a man-to-man relationship again I think that's the difference between the pro game and the college game is is you know it's sort of a man-to-man relationship in the league and obviously you have a boss but Everyone wants to be treated with respect and and have sort of an honest conversation about their performance, their you know their team's performance, Uh, and that's how you build a closeness of a team. That's how a team understands itself as well. Uh, I think it really comes off as honesty from the coach. Again, you know, try not to blame the players, accepting blame. We're all in this together, not singling people out. Uh, I think that players really respect that. And actually, you know, when players don't play well, uh, for a coach to sometimes take the blame, you know, and say they got they got to do better. Uh, not always blaming, you know, player or, or position groups or something like that. So uh, I think that's how you get a lot of – the hard part about the Patriot way is the Patriot way w- was built. It took a while. Mm-hmm. Right? We weren't talking about the Patriot way in 2001 right, when, when Tom Brady was beating the uh, the St. Louis Rams in New Orleans. No one was talking about the Patriot way. That took a while. It right. took a Super Bowl. And then you, then Baruski started talking about it, you know, oh four, five, six, seven. 4 5-6, 7 You know, a few years down the line when they, you know, they're winning all these divisions, there's a certain way of doing things. And all these coaches that try to put in the Patriot way into other organizations who haven't done that or don't understand that, uh, I think you have to win first. You set a precedent, then you have the, you know, the Detroit Lions way, whatever that would be, but you have to win first.
1: Right. And, And, and I think that also some of these coaches maybe misunderstand. Like even the ones that were with Belichick, what works and what doesn't that you can carry over because uh, uh I think it was Andrew Hawkins was talking about it. And Joe Thomas, too, with maybe Eric Mangini, I think, where he would make players like memorize quotes around the building and then have to like spit them out in team meetings. Like what the hell good does that do anyone for playing football?
2: Yeah, just things that seem like a waste of time. You know, football coaches are, are an interesting bunch. That's for dang sure. Uh, and you know, let's, let, let's talk about, by the way, let's talk about the player, the coaches who have left the Patriot way and gone on to have success or failure. That's, right. that's, yeah, a, that's a short Weiss podcast
1: at, there. Ch- Charlie <laughs> Weiss
2: of Notre Dame. I would call that a failure. Charlie Weiss of yeah. Kansas. I would call that a failure.
1: Yes. Okay.
2: Uh, uh, Romeo Cronell. Failure as the Green Bay or as the uh, Cleveland Browns head coach, I, he's a good coordinator, I guess, good defense coordinator. That's about all I know. Josh right. McDaniels, uh, Josh McDaniels' failure in Denver. O'Brien, to be honest with you, I would say failure in Houston. I don't think he's lived up to, uh, you know, being a, you know, having a, a Patriot Way has not quite followed him yet. Um, I'm sure there's more. You know, obviously we, we have uh, our guy in in, in, in Tennessee now. You now we'll see. Where, where he ends up going, mm-hmm. Grable. Um, you know, but these coaches who, have, these coordinators who have left and tried to be the Patriot way somewhere else, it just hasn't worked.
1: It's one of those things that I would initially sort of brush off as just a coincidence or situational i mean romeo cornell with the quarterbacks they gave him in cleveland wasn't going to work right but uh not, but he, he chose them right that's true but and, and now there's a pile of these coaches who have had the same issue and uh, it does not seem that matt patricia is breaking that mold so let me ask you about a another matt um, matt, matt patricia does not represent all matt's i just want to make that clear uh matt stafford uh, is still having a good year this year. Overall, decent numbers. Their passing attack is middle of the league and it's been he has been just like the rest of the team where one week it's great and the next week it's really poor and Sage I, I guess I would almost describe his career that way where there are years where he's incredible, there are years where he's just okay. They've tried to tweak it so he throws a lot more short and quick passes than he used to with Calvin Johnson throwing it down the field. Uh but You know, he's beat the Vikings twice at US Bank Stadium. He's the only guy who could say that. And I think that if you catch him on the wrong day, he will just get really hot and beat you.
2: Do you think, do you think, uh, Matthew Stafford is basically Kirk Cousins?
1: Yes. Yes. Very similar. I had
2: never really, as as you're talking there about his good and his bad, he had these great games and somehow he's not these bad games, sometimes he makes these boneheaded terrible throws. Although times he's, you know, he's a magician and and makes some unbelievable plays. Uh, You know, it's like you're talking about Kirk Cousins as well, right? I mean, there's a similarity there. Um, And they seem to be on these teams that just can't, you know, quite get in the playoffs consistently. The Lions, for the most part since Stafford's been there, have been somewhere sort of in the middle, lost in the middle. You know, it seems like seven wins, eight wins, nine wins, whatever it might be occasionally in the playoffs here. Uh, but you know it's, that's sort of the same early part of the se- early part of the career here for uh, for Kirk Cousins.
1: You know, with both of these guys too. Now, something that analytics people don't like at all is talking about quarterbacks' win loss record because so much goes into it. What's around you, who your coach is, and I and I agree with all that. But when you have one hundred and thirty two games, it kind of tells you who you are with with how much you've won. And with Matt Stafford, he's basically a five hundred quarterback. Even if you throw out his age 21 season when he's the first overall draft pick. Okay. That's fine. Then he's a 500 quarterback the rest of the way. And Kirk Cousins, the same thing where they can pop up with an 11 and five season or a 10 and six season if everything goes their way, but mostly it's seven and nine, nine and seven and things got to bounce right for them to make you. Competitive. And I think that that kind of was the argument with this Vikings team and Cousins and probably was in Detroit too. Like if we could get a defense in Detroit, a running game and with Cousins, it was, well, give them these two wide receivers and, and still we're talking about two guys who are basically 500 quarterbacks.
2: Yeah. And some guys are just, you know, I, by the way, I do think that Stafford's in the top half of quarterbacks in the league. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think as organizations in the probably bottom third of organizations in the league as far as consistently putting good talent and coaches around him and so that's probably why they get some somewhere sort of stuck in the middle I think you know Dan Marino for all those years with the Dolphins and consistently being you know uh, uh, you know on good teams on playoff teams and he was a great quarterback uh, I think they a lot of times go hand in hand great quarterbacks consistently win you know good quarterbacks are usually stuck somewhere in the middle and I think that's sort of where Stafford is, and honestly, I, I think he is. I, I do think he is better than the Lions' organization, if that makes sense. If you want to balance out, you know, who should be credited for more wins than losses over the course of the last, uh, you know, ten years, I got think, you know, the, the more positive goes to Stafford's game.
1: All right. So, what uh, makes him one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL, though? The arm strength is clear, but I also think that, unlike Cousins, the, the man moves around pretty well. That he will get outside and he'll make a play. He did that uh, Thanksgiving Day 2016 where he needed a big conversion and uh, got to drive down the field to tie the game using his legs on a couple of plays. Seems like that he has a little bit of that gunslinger gamerness that maybe Kirk Cousins yeah. doesn't exactly have in the same way.
2: Yeah, there's, you know, Cousins has, he's, Lately, or really most of the year, he's been making some incredible throws every game. You know, just great throws with guys guy sitting in, there in his lap. He has the ability to, to throw with guys right on him a lot of times. And more often, it does you know, go to the right place. He actually has a much stronger arm than people realize. Stafford has a strong arm as well. Stafford is just a better athlete. He's got the, the ability to create more. Uh, you know, he can, he's more flexible. Uh, it it doesn't sound like a big deal, but when you're running out of the pocket a lot, like to your left, you gotta be flexible to turn your whole body. And a lot of times even throw a sidearm, uh, cousins doesn't do that as well. So they're both gunslingers. I think that's, that's, I think that's a good thing for both of them. I mean, I think they both, their strength is, you know, they, they take chances and with their arm strength and, and with pretty dang good accuracy, uh, they can fit a lot of tight balls and a lot of balls into some, some tight, uh, tight spots and and i you know I, they're both gunslingers by you know sort of by by uh, by their sort of personality i guess and and they're both really good competitors but uh yeah i think they're different players i think just you know Stafford just more creative
1: all right so what what, are, what is your feeling on this game before we get to the really important stuff which is the journeyman quarterbacks i, I mean i look at this sage like they really need this one. I mean, the Vikings really do because the the NFC is so close and you've got all these teams that you don't really know exactly what they are, but they're starting to shape up. Washington can compete and Carolina can compete and Seattle is better than people thought because Russell Wilson is a wizard and they fix some of their offensive line issues. So I look at this one as staying right in line with the other NFC North teams and some of the other potential card teams. This is one with going against a reeling team, in your place, that the Vikings not only should win but really need.
2: Yeah, I, you know, I don't do must wins, but this is a do it, really Sage. You can do it game. now, man. I don't, I don't do it. I no, do must you can, not like play the anymore. last, the last month, the no, not yet. Now, there's nothing to must win until you're out of the playoffs. And this whole NFC North could be a nine and seven winner just because everybody beats each other up, you know, this year. But uh, I, I do think the. I do think the Lions are the fourth of the four teams in the NFC North. Uh, and if the Vikings want to get to the playoffs and win this division or even get to the playoffs with a, with a wild card, this is one they have to have. They got, they got to play the Bears twice still. I've watched the Bears every single week, uh, cause I do a Trubisky hit in Chicago. Uh, the Bears are a good football team. Uh, and uh, they're going to give the, I, I believe Trubisky might give the, the Vikings some, some issues with the way he's been running the football and some of the weapons that they have uh and so and obviously you know they play green bay one more time so this is a win uh that the vikings really need to have and i again i don't like must wins because nothing's really a must win until i think the end of the season but uh it, it would be an uphill climb if they lost this game
1: see we got to push you more toward the media personality and away from the nfl player here you got to go all in it's must players win. never
2: give up there's always a chance
1: pound a table do you have a table near you pound it must win no, i have a dashboard okay pound that dashboard <laughs> this is a must win yeah no i uh but i, I i'm with you on, the, on this one that also you know each week seems to be some type of prove it game in one way or the other but you know coming off what happened last week the message has been very much hey we played really well for a lot of that game and still believe in this team but it would be a harder sell if they lost to a team that just traded its number one wide receiver so all right it's time it's time for journeyman quarterback of the week Show
0: some respect. Listen, Salute. I traveled every road in the It's time for Matthew and Sage to honor one of the NFL's great journeyman quarterbacks.
1: And this right here, Sage, this is the Lifetime Achievement Award Detroit Lions. We are gonna make a trophy for them. They are the GOAT team for Journeyman quarterbacks. Would you agree with that?
2: Well, yes. You know what a great thing is also about it? Is our guy, Josh McCown, also played for them.
1: (laughs) And wide receiver briefly for them, right?
2: Oh, really? I don't even know that one. Yes.
1: Yes. Uh, I, I believe that Josh McCown, who is one of the best quarterback athletes ever, that is not a joke. That's a real thing. He, He
2: well, his brother's actually probably the better athlete, but yes, they're both two very good athletes.
1: He filled in, uh, as a wide receiver briefly when they had a bunch of injuries for one of these seasons. And I don't, I don't know how many catches he had, but I can can try to look that up. But yes, Josh McCown, a classic member of the Detroit lions and many other teams as well. I'll find that in a second, but let me just run through some of their He was like
2: Lamar Jackson before Lamar Jackson.
1: Uh, Seriously.
2: By by the way, we we never talked about it. Did you, you, did you see the play where uh, the saints had all three quarterbacks in the game? I did at yes. the same time yes. yes
1: if they had thrown a touchdown can you imagine if they'd thrown a touchdown to teddy <laughs> <laughs> oh that would have been or the best double
2: reverse double reverse back to uh back to teddy or something like that saints that special
1: phenomenal. right that the tight end throws a touchdown to teddy everyone forgets about teddy <laughs> they run it tyson hill and he throws a touchdown to teddy i was i was hoping for that that would have been great um just based on guys who led the team in passing from 1990 on, we have Rodney Pete, Eric Kramer, Scott Mitchell, Charlie Batch, Gus Farrat. I don't know if Joey Harrington counts as journeyman or just bust. Uh, John Kitna, Dan You can't Orlowski. be a journeyman
2: if you're the but like the second overall pick of the draft.
1: I, I will argue you, with you, you can't. on this. You, you I do You started
2: so. your whole career in the penthouse, then I, you just went down from there.
1: Okay, here's my, I got two guys that are my case against this. Kerry Collins and Vinny Testaverdi. If you can Jared be. Kerry Collins was the first pick of the draft. I, I don't know. I understand I, that. But he went team to team and had these pop-up seasons, even though he was mostly bad. I'm going to argue.
2: Listen, if you're, if you're a first rounder, and we consider you a journeyman, you have to play at least 13 years. Yes.
1: Okay, okay. We're on the same page here okay. because Kerry Collins went And, and from... over,
2: well, how, also maybe maybe a certain amount of your career you have to be a backup. Maybe that's part of it. Like you can't, you play 12 years as a starter and you have a three-year journeyman little stint there. I don't right. know if that's, you no. know, I think you're still a starter. So for
1: Kerry Collins from age 34 on was mostly a backup, but this is what makes him a great journeyman. Is because one of those seasons from 06 to 2011, he's a backup except for one year, and he goes 12 and 3
2: that year. Yes, I know. And he put out a country music album. uh, Come on. He's checking every box. He's checking every box. uh, Google that one.
1: (laughs) Uh, Just real quick on Collins, who did not play for Detroit. But if you played for Detroit and Oakland, uh, like if you play for Oakland, that's like the Detroit AFC. So it's like, Giants, Tennessee, Carolina, Oakland, New Orleans—a brief stint—and Indianapolis at the end of his career. I think Kerry Collins qualifies. But
2: yeah, I get. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, maybe there's a number of teams too. Like even if you were a first rounder, if you played for more than, a, you know, I think I think even I think yeah. you have to play for four teams to really be talked about on this show. Minimum right, four teams.
1: Right. Right. So Joey Harrington—I so think he
2: passes the test.
1: Harrington is very borderline. I mean, he he. He played for Miami and Atlanta. No, no
2: journeyman quarterback can be on, uh, on a full spread of Madison Square Garden <laughs> as a Nike ad. No, you're, you're too elitist for us.
1: Okay. All right. I'll go with, I'll go with that too. Joey Harrington didn't have enough teams. He only played for three teams, but, um, so let's,
2: let's get back to Detroit. Who are, yes, who are right. we talking about? This so,
1: well, I was just working my way from 1990 to current and John Kitna, back to back 4,000 yard seasons. That's right. He's one of the all timers. Uh, Sean Hill, good friend of the show, Sean Hill, or at least, um, not really actually a good friend of the show at all, but a guy that once got the award. He's been
2: recognized before.
1: (laughs) So tell me this, who is your favorite of all the guys that I just gave you? Orlovsky, Kitna, Batch, Farad, Mitchell. Well, the guy I can
2: talk about is Gus.
1: Okay. All right. Tell me about Gus. All right.
2: So that's the guy. Well,
0: I love Gus. So, I mean,
2: the good thing is, so I, when I'm in, um, in Miami, uh, and Nick Saban comes on as coach. Uh, Jason Garrett's my, my, uh, my quarterback's coach, Scott Linehan, my coordinator. And Scott, uh, was sort of, you know, sort of stolen away. Uh, uh, I think he was one of the first like million dollar coordinators, uh, in the NFL, but he's sort of stolen away from Minnesota because he wasn't under contract at the end of the year, uh, with the Vikings and, and, and Saban hired him to be the offensive coordinator. Uh, and he brought Gus, who had been the backup. It's uh, Dante Culpepper up there, mm-hmm. and Gus ended up being our starter for uh, for most of that uh, As he 2005 does. season. Gus had a cannon, like it just, and he was a sort of a country strong guy, but straight up one of the strongest arms that I saw uh, in my time in the NFL. He had an absolute cannon, and uh, he couldn't move all that great. Uh, you know, he wasn't a super athlete. I also caught him at the end of his career, um, but I was in appreciation for Gus. Uh, uh, you know, as I've gotten older in life, you know, I have my infamous play, the, the Rosen copter, and Gus has in, his infamous play, uh, when he banged his head against the wall with the Washington, uh, with the Washington Redskins against the New York Giants.
1: I think if you have an infamous play as a journeyman quarterback, that puts you up in a rare air echelon, like, the, at the at yeah, that, the, at that's the that pantheon. whole thing of like I'm not
2: famous, but I'm infamous, yeah. which <laughs> yes. is you know, I, I think it's cooler.
1: Now checking off Gus Farad boxes, we have a few things on his Wikipedia. There's one part that says second stint with, which is just you need that. Um, See,
2: those are good too. I've got, I've got one. I've
1: got two of those.
2: I've got two
1: seconds. <laughs> two stints. second stints <laughs> with every. Yes. Todd, ba- no one will break Todd Bauman's record. Todd Bauman's record is like, uh, you know, the Barry Bonds home run record or something, like six stints with the Jaguars.
2: Oh, yes. That's right. That's right. That's right.
1: Uh, but second stint with the Vikings going eight and three, throwing a 99 yard touchdown pass. I believe that's against the Bears. And that's right. And then. Not keeping the job because they wanted to give it back to Tavares Jackson, who lost in the playoffs for that team. And I, I will say the thing about Gus Farrat is, um, my personal story with Gus Farrat is he invited me to lunch once. Um, I wow. was interviewing Gus Farrat for a story, and I told him how much I loved going to Pittsburgh. And so I said, you know, I just said because he's like a Pennsylvania guy. And I was like, yeah, dude, Pittsburgh's a great city. Love going there. And he said, if you ever stop by, then I'll, you know, buy you lunch or something. I was like, okay. I mean, that, that was more of like, um, Michael Scott in the office when his, uh, boss, did you ever see this episode? When she says, no. like, his boss says, if you're ever in Florida, you know, just stop by or whatever. Right. And so Michael plans a trip immediately to go.
2: <laughs> oh, I think I remember
1: that one. <laughs> <laughs> So Gus Verrott really uh, didn't invite me to lunch. He's just being nice, but, um,
2: G- Gus is a great guy. Uh, he's a super nice guy. I, you know, I appreciate him as a, as fellow quarterback in that room trying to play for Saban. Uh, that was quite the interesting year with us. And, uh, um, yeah, so, and, and, AJ Feely was on that team until we traded him about week six and made Cleo Lemon <laughs> as our third string quarterback on that team. Another, a little bit of a journeyman. I'm not sure how many teams he racked up. Two or three, probably.
1: I don't think he qualifies. But, uh, What's, what, it, it is it four? Qualify. You think four is the number for a journeyman quarterback?
2: I think so. I think mm. for us to actually, like mean, we can, we can highlight him, but actually go in and have a conversation about one. I think, I think four is the minimum. We're setting the rules.
1: Gus Ferrant. We was- gotta have standards. Washington, Detroit, Denver, Cincinnati, Minnesota, Miami, St. Louis, Minnesota.
2: That's well, quite the run.
1: He deserves this. He deserves and the Jordan Quarterback of
2: the week. And I believe, I believe, lives in St. Louis though with his, uh, with his family. I think that's where he ended up.
1: Yeah, he told me that he originally signed in Minnesota and would fly home after games because he was just supposed to be like Tavars Jackson's friend. And then you know Jackson wasn't good, and he gets thrown into it. So he's kind of like, I was supposed to be going home to visit my family on Tuesdays, and then I ended that's up. That's right. That you know, was. Uh,
2: that's right. Because yeah, because his kids were old enough at that point, and, and they didn't want them to be moving schools. They liked where they lived and the school system and the whole thing. And and he would. They, and I think Childress was going to let him, uh, you know, fly back and like fly even like skip Mondays. Like you can skip Mondays. Yes. That's right. You can fly, you know, Sunday night or Monday morning. Down to St. Louis on a quick flight, you know, come back, uh, you know, probably probably Tuesday night late or whatever. And for, for Wednesday practice, you're, you're just going to be Tavares' backup. And obviously, he ended up uh, starting a lot of that season.
1: I just want to give a shout out before we wrap up to the 1993 Detroit Lions, who played 10 games of Rodney Pete, five games of Eric Kramer, and five games, obviously, these overlapped in games of Andre Ware, and went 10 and six. And had the Green Bay Packers on the ropes in the wild card game until Brett Favre made one of the most preposterous throws in the history of the National Football League to beat them. So a great all time journeyman backup season where they almost found a way to beat Brett Favre in the playoffs. Good job, Wayne. Favre. You know, what's,
2: what's really strange about the Detroit Lions is that they're one of these sort of original teams. You know, mm-hmm. when you talk about original teams, you talk about the Giants and the Steelers and the Bears and uh, the Packers and, and the Lions are one of those teams, but all those other teams seem to have won uh, a lot of championships and a lot of trophies, and a lot of you know, a lot of playoff appearances, except for the Lions. They're like the lone sort of old school team that really, you know, lacks success. I mean, from from the old, old school you know, before the West Coast was really you know, even part of the league.
1: You know, uh, I might end up being wrong on this, but uh, I don't think that they have the coach right now that's going to change any of that. So we will we will see. I guess this is just I mean, that's that's part of it is not finding your franchise quarterback. And then when you do in Matt Stafford, not putting enough around him and making Calvin Johnson retire and. You know, getting here and trading Golden Tate when you're still in the race—just classic Detroit Lions things to do. Um, so. I just
2: think I just think that in the NFL it's different. It's different than college, in which you know you sort of have to run the the, the problem players off the team because you know you're, you're going to get some new players, you recruit some new guys, and, and you know they're sort of shorter lifespan there as far as the college years. In the pros, you got to come in and get guys to like you, mm-hmm. uh, to to respect you. Uh, and to you know play hard for you, um, and you can always get good you know new players or whatever. But I I just I've always disagreed with this sort of you know I got to come in and set this precedent uh, and be a jerk to everybody because mm. everyone you know sucks or whatever it is. <laughs> and I think I think that's been the problem with this you know trying to bring the Patriot Way somewhere else. I think it's it's a bad uh, bad model and a bad plan. Uh, and, and a lot and a lot of the reasons are because that you sort of have to win. Where players go, okay, your your stuff works. You know, the way you do it does work. We're believers now. We got a lot of believers in here. Uh, now you know, not now you can be, you know, harder on us or, you know, meaner to us or whatever it might be because we believe you do know what you're talking about, but until mm-hmm. you sort of earn that respect, it's uh you know, I just think it's a bad way to go.
1: Yeah, I will never forget Doug Doug Morone yelling at Jerry Hughes if you don't want to be here or something you can get out. And I mean Jerry Hughes just baffled. And then signed like a $60 million contract a couple of weeks later. It's just like, what? What do you mean? What do you mean get out? Like I'm under contract and also I'm really good and will be here after you. So yeah, you can yell that all you want, but it doesn't really carry any weight like kicking a kid off the Syracuse program. So anyway, well, awesome stuff. I mean, I knew that Detroit was going to bring it for us. Sage, but I didn't expect dog analysis, uh, so I was happy well, about we had that. We have
2: to step it up. We have to step it up for the divisional games. That's for sure.
1: Yes. Oh, that's a good point, point. and I can't wait for when we uh, when we break down Trubisky, since you've been watching so much of him. So, all right. Well, thank you for your time, Sage. I uh, wish you the best in the rest of your uh, corn watching drive on on the way home. And we- I'm
2: almost there. I'm I'm trying to hustle to the elementary school so my, I can see my daughter uh, dress up for like the school Halloween parade today.
1: Do you guys have like NFL Halloween party stuff? Did you guys do that? Is that like a thing in the NFL? Um, hockey guys, some do of the, it. some of the teams I was
2: on did, uh, I never did for like just going to work or whatever, but some, some teams would have parties and things like that. Uh, Ricky Williams actually always threw an awesome party down in Miami. That was like a fundraiser. I would, fans would come to and stuff and players mm. would dress up and whatever. But, uh, Yeah, I think it's become even more and more popular.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, enjoy that. Have a nice Halloween, and uh, we will talk to you again next Monday. Sounds good. All right, and thank you all, as always, for listening to The Purple Podcast.
0: This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth turkey for forty or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup, so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of thirty-five dollars or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy Five or More Save One Dollar Each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's fresh for everyone.